One Week Season. Inner Circle fam, welcome to the week seven edition of the Inner Circle Tuesday Night Podcast. I guess we don't have a fancy name for this podcast yet. I appreciate you guys who are in here live, hanging out live. I know it is NBA tip-off, so it looks like we have a smaller audience than normal, which I kind of expected would be the case. But I always encourage listening to me on 1.5x speed, so I appreciate those of you who come in and listen live at normal speed. So we have some cool stuff to get to tonight. We're going to be focused on tournament play, tournament roster construction through the lens of last week. So taking a look at some of the things from the week six slate, some of the takeaways we can have from that, not in terms of individual players, but in terms of how we can break down a slate, how we can build rosters in order to give ourselves our best shot at first place. So similar to what we did last week, but taking some different angles this week. Um, I'm thinking this will be about 35 to 45 minutes, and then we will get to questions. So each week, in fact, I'll start here. I just finished recording the DFS recap pod with Scott Barrett a little bit ago, and we took some questions this week. And one of the questions that came in was basically, how do I ensure that my Tuesday thoughts are like are useful later in the week that I either don't I don't remember what the exact question was if it was how do I make sure I don't get too stuck on my Tuesday thoughts or how do I make sure I don't move away from my Tuesday thoughts but one of the things that I said was it's extremely valuable to use some sort of thought tracking device so that's one of the reasons we have the notes function in the NFL Edge. The first year of OWS, that was one of the really cool features that we had. We talked it up a lot, and we can see on the back end how many saved notes there are from the community. And it was like 1,200 or 1,300 or 1,500 of our users were using the note function every single week. And now it's down probably below 500. We don't ever really talk about it. We don't emphasize it. And I think a lot of people forget that it's there. You can actually save notes at the bottom of each NFL Edge game. And instead of publishing them to OWS Collective, you can just save them. They will go to your profile and all of your notes from all the games will be collected in one spot on your profile page. You can do that. You can use a notebook, pen and paper, which when I don't have infants I'm taking care of, that's my typical approach is a notebook. And then these two years that I've had an infant to deal with, so 2019, this year, 2021, I've used my phone notes. And the value in that is that you get to track your thoughts throughout the week. I talked about this a couple of weeks ago with, I referenced a question that Josh Morano had asked me about narrowing his player to pull down to 14 players or whatever, you know, 14 running backs or 14 wide receivers, whatever it was. And he said, my pool is normally smaller than this. What are your thoughts? And I said, what we want to do in DFS, one of the things we're really working toward through OWS and especially through inner circle is understanding that there is guesswork involved in DFS. 
there are things that are not going to be 100%. There's always going to be uncertainty. And so once we identify, okay, I, I can narrow my player pool down to six players in this position, or this week I can only narrow my player pool down to 12 players in this position. Well, on those weeks when you can only narrow your player pool down to 12 players, that's probably because there are 12 players who are all kind of similar in terms of point per dollar production or production or upside or whatever the lens is that you're looking through. And so then at that point, you can kind of say, oh, well, I don't need to waste a bunch of extra time trying to chisel this list down from 12 players to 11 to 10. Now, take a critical look at your list and say, okay, which players have the most upside? Which players have the best shot at hitting their upside? But there comes to a point where you can say, okay, there's no need to overthink things. It comes to a point where you, you can say, well, there is an element of guesswork in DFS, and it appears that I've narrowed things down as much as I can narrow them down. And rather than now spending a bunch of time digging into statistics and trying to find the one little stat that might put this player above this player, instead you can say, okay, that's that's what I needed to do here. Now let me build better rosters around these guys, understanding that I narrowed things down to the best pool that I have. So that's one of the things that's valuable about tracking your thoughts throughout the week is you're able to essentially get a sense throughout the week of what's what, where everything fits, and and not get to that crippling point where you think, oh, if I'm if I'm wrong on this guy, I'm going to be so upset at myself. Or if I'm right at this guy, I'm making such a great call. Because if we played out the slate a hundred times, things would play out different ways, different times. So tracking your thoughts throughout the week kind of helps you to allow your thoughts from the entire week to build toward your Saturday roster construction session or wherever you do your roster construction at whatever point in the week you do it. Tracking your thoughts throughout the week can also help you quite a bit in going back and examining your process, reflecting on your process on Monday and Tuesday, and getting a sense of what you did well, what you did poorly. Okay, so back to my notes from this last week. A couple things that I wrote down, and this was, we were coming off of week five, so keep that in mind. The Browns and Chargers had had that huge shootout game that most of us overlooked. And we talked last week about the fact that getting 30 points from a team is fine, right? Getting four touchdowns is fine. That's great. That's going to get you some good scores. We'll actually dig into that deeper into this session. But what we're really looking for when game stacking is those had to have it games. And those had to have it games are the games where one team scores 40 plus points. Those are the types of games where we saw it with the Bucks two weeks ago, right? Mike Evans scored two touchdowns and Antonio Brown scored two touchdowns. You stack that offense and you get so many points. Uh, we saw it with the Chargers. The uh Mike Williams and Austin Eckler both had huge games. In fact, we wouldn't you wouldn't have been able to identify David Njoku. And, and that's part of the deal with the Browns, right? They run a different formation onto the field almost every play. So very few guys on their offense play more than like 65% of the snaps. But let's say it was a different team. Well, David Njoku and Kareem Punt both put up huge games. The Browns scored over 40 points. So coming off of that week, I made a few notes to myself. One note said, hunt for had to have it. Now we talk about that all the time. We we That's always in our minds when we're building is these had to have it scores because we're always talking about it. But there's a difference between talking about it and just having it in the back of your mind. And instead moving it to the front of your mind where you're saying, I'm going to specifically hunt for had to have it scores, had to have it games, so on and so forth. The next two notes I left for myself, and this was at the top of my notes, 
throughout all of week six while I was building. So every time I went in there to add a new thought, this was at the top. Quote, what if this game shoots out? Question mark. And then the second question, how does this game shoot out? Those are questions that we can be asking ourselves every week. Every week, you can ask, what if this game shoots out? How does this game shoot out? And what I liked about those questions was, if we examine the stats and if we examine the Vegas totals and all that in week five, we're not going to the Browns Chargers game. If we ask the question, what if this game shoots out? Well, if this game shoots out, nobody's on it. Okay, how does this game shoot out? And that forces us to say, how does this game shoot out? What are the pieces that could cause this game to shoot out? And how would that come together? And how would I build around that? And do I want to target that type of spot? So basically, I came into this last week, week six, hunting pretty specifically for 40-point team scores. Now, 40-point team scores don't always come around, but it is something we should always be looking for. This last week, we talked about this this last week, there weren't really that many games that you had a good shot at getting 40 plus points. So I tried to isolate the teams that could get me those 40 plus point scores. I think we also mentioned this this last week. If you end up in a week like that, where it's like, well, there's really no games that I feel have a really good shot at one of these 40 point scores, 40 point team scores. One of the things that you can do is say, okay, what game can combine for two teams that score 30 points, 30 plus points, 30-ish points, somewhere in that range. So that could have led us to some different games. We'll get to that in a little bit. But what I ended up looking for was, okay, this is a week where we're probably not getting any 40 plus point scores, but where would they come from if they come? And so I decided to go in that direction instead of saying, okay, this is a week where we're probably not getting any 40 plus point scores. So what games could go for? 60 combined points, right? What game games could go for two teams that score 30-ish points. And that's the other way to approach a week like that. So this last week, I built nine rosters. And this should come as no surprise to you if you were on the site throughout the week last week. I had two Mahomes rosters. I had two Heineke rosters. I had two Stafford rosters. I had two Daniel Jones rosters. And I had one Carson Wentz roster. So we just talked about teams that can score 40-ish points. Obviously, the Chiefs and the Rams fit into that category very comfortably in their matchups this last week. They either team, well, in fact, the Rams scored, I believe it was 38 points, um, and the Chiefs scored over 30 points. So those were spots where you could say, okay, here are teams that could hit this type of score that we're looking for. Uh, and then now, do we expect the Washington football team to score 40 points against Kansas City? Absolutely not. It would be outlandish to go into the week expecting that. Now, there's a chance that it can happen, but what we're also looking for is DFS production and DFS production at a good price. So stacking Mahomes plus Tyreek Hill, stacking Mahomes plus Kelsey. One of the things we talked about last week is, yeah, you can branch away from those guys and go to the cheaper Chiefs options and say, hey, let me bet on players who are on the field all the time for the Chiefs. But you have to be realistic about what each team offers. And the Chiefs are in a matchup with very little resistance. They're going to Kelsey and Hill. That's why those guys are priced so high. So in that spot, one of the ways that you can get exposure to betting on the Chiefs doing really well is betting on Washington, who has lower price tags, having to keep pace in that game. So we don't want to just blindly take a team 
opposite a team like the Chiefs. We don't want to just blindly take a team that's an underdog against an offense that's expected to score a lot of points. And I, I think a lot of times people do that. They just say, well, this team's going to be chasing points, so I'll take this quarterback. We want to actually think through what types of scores these guys could get at what their price tags are. So, And, and we want to be realistic about it. I always say that once we put a player on our roster, we're basically saying this guy's going to have a huge game. But we also want to be realistic about what that player's huge game is. Could Taylor Heineke run into a random... 350 passing yard, four touchdown game. Sure. But let's be realistic about what this guy's big game is. So Taylor Heineke, he's most games going to rush for 25 to 30 yards. So let's say he probably doesn't throw for 300 plus yards. Let's say he doesn't throw for more than two touchdowns. So in a reasonable projection, you could say, look, in this game environment, they're chasing points. They're going to have some garbage time. Let's say we bet on the Chiefs offense. Let's say we get these high upside pieces from the Chiefs. But let's say that we also bet on this game environment through Heineke, who costs a lot less. And Heineke could throw for 275 yards, two touchdowns, rush for 30 yards, and score a touchdown on the ground. So you can come up with those stats off the top of your head. You can bounce them around inside your head and say, does this sound pretty reasonable? Is this something that Heineke could do? 275 yards and two touchdowns. Yeah, I mean, Jared Goff can go for 275 yards and two touchdowns with his weapon. We know that Heineke is a gunslinger. 275 yards and two touchdowns. We're not making some crazy bet there. Well, that's 19 points already. We're not giving him the 300. We're not taking those extra three points for the bonus. And we're sitting on 19 points. Then we give him 30 yards on the ground and we give him a touchdown on the ground. And all of a sudden, this is a 28 point score from a guy who costs 5,800. So it's a way to intelligently bet on this game environment while saving some salary and allowing you to do some stuff in other places. As we also talked about last week, Heineke was going to be decently popular and he's a little bit fragile for a decently popular play. So another thing we wanted to do was build around him differently. So we talked about McKissick plus McLaurin. We talked about McKissick plus Ricky Seals-Jones. We talked about McLaurin plus Ricky Seals-Jones, which was obviously going to be more popular than those other ones. But looking to critically think through your setup and say, does this actually make sense? What am I? What story am I telling here? And is it a story that makes sense? So we're betting on Mahomes hoping for a 40-burger. We're betting on Stafford hoping for a 40-burger from his team. But we're getting these quarterbacks on the other side. And then not just doing it off the cuff without thinking it through, but also saying, is this realistic? Daniel Jones, we've seen him multiple times rush for 60, 70 plus yards. We know he's going to throw the ball deep from time to time. He obviously got sunk a little bit by injuries, particularly to Kadarius Tony, and just the fact that Daniel Jones is going to be up and down. But we don't need to break down Daniel Jones' uh, potential stats, but we know that he can put up a 30-point score at, I believe his price tag was 5,500 this last week. So we want to be thinking through those types of things. And then uh, Carson Wentz, we, we went into last week, but basically saying, hey, this is the type of spot where if the Colts keep their foot on the gas, they can end up putting up 30-plus points. He's a cheap quarterback. So if we're betting on Heineke and, and Daniel Jones, and we don't expect Washington or the Giants to score 30 plus. But we can also look at Wentz, who's in that same price range. He was 5,400. And we can say Wentz could actually be on a team that scores 50 plus or 30 plus points. And Wentz had two beautiful deep ball passes. Uh, I believe he had two touchdown passes. And then Jonathan Taylor obviously got a lot of work, uh, didn't get a lot of work, but got a lot of uh, a lot of the scoring in that game, a lot of the fantasy goodness in that game. But that's a super sharp setup to take this 
team that nobody's thinking about that can score 30 plus points. So that's the way I approached quarterback this last week. And I'm hopeful that talking through the thought process, talking through the approach helps you get a sense of how to track your own thoughts throughout the week, but also how to build your own thoughts throughout the week so that you can head one one of the things I talk about sometimes is getting to Sunday morning already knowing if you had a good week or not before games kicked off. And that doesn't mean uh, whether you're going to make money or not. Sometimes you have a bad week, as in you build poorly. You make negative EV decisions and luck breaks your way and you have a profitable week. Again, we talk about that can be dangerous because it can entrench you in those approaches. Other times you can have an excellent week of process and have a bad week. Things just don't break your way because we're trying to bet on what's going to make us the most money if we could play out this slate hundred times. Sometimes that means taking on a, a handful of lower percentage bets, bets that might only work out 10 times out of every hundred, 15 times out of every hundred, but they might be two or 3% owned. So the EV is there. They're, they're going to make you money over time. So that was quarterback for me. In fact, let's jump down to wide receiver because we shouldn't be playing wide receivers in a vacuum. We should be playing wide receivers based on what we're betting on in game environments and quarterbacks. So I had Kadarius Tony on five out of nine rosters, rest in peace to those rosters. Uh, three catches for 36 yards on the Giants first drive in the first four minutes of the game before he re-injured his ankle. I had Sterling Shepard on those rosters, who's a guy I rarely use because we're looking for upside. Sterling Shepard has a shorter area role. So one of the things I had to force myself to do this last week was think, how are the Giants going to try to win this game? I mean, they're not going to give Devontae Booker 30 touches. Evan Ingram is dust at this point. If you watch Evan Ingram, he's moving like a 40-year-old. Darius Slayton's out. Kenny Galladay's out. They're going to rely heavily on Shepard and Kadarius. Now, we always talk about wanting players who have 30-point upside. Optimally, we get guys who have 30-point upside and can go for like 35, 38, you know, if you can get 30 point upside, you can feel really good, especially if you have some floor there. So I, I had to think through Shepard and say, OK, let's say he doesn't crack the 100 yard bonus. Can he get nine catches for 90 yards and a touchdown? 24 points at 5K in salary. That would be pretty good. And that's a pretty reasonable stat line for Sterling Shepard to come out of that game with. In fact, he basically hit that stat line without the touchdown. We've seen him go over 100 yards a few times. We know that the volume was going to be there, that he could get over 100 yards. And then that gives you that extra point for getting up to 100 yards plus the three-point bonus. Or he could run into that random two-touchdown game. So I went with Shepard basically saying, this is not the type of guy I would usually take, but I'm betting on this game environment. I'm betting on the Rams having no problem scoring points. That's a big place where I'm, I'm putting my bet this week. And I'm betting on the Giants doing decently well. I'm going to have two Daniel Jones rosters. Obviously, I had Shepard on both of those rosters. And then I believe on, on one of the Stafford rosters and then on one roster that was built around the, the Kansas City-Washington game. Uh, so Shepard, basically, I'm saying, look, I'd probably get 15, 16, 17 points no matter what. That's not typically how I approach wide receiver. But given what the week looked like and given what he was going to offer in terms of floor and ceiling, sure, he's not going to go for 35, but he can go for 24. He can go for 26, 27, 28 points. Outside shot at 30 points. And on this week, especially with the way he fit into my game bets, made a lot of sense. Uh, Tyreek Hill on four rosters. Brandon Cooks on four rosters opposite Wentz. And then also just saying, hey, 5K wide receiver is going to get a ton of targets. Uh, 
Cooper Cup on three rosters, Michael Pittman on three rosters, Terry McLaurin on two, Jamar Chase on two. We talked about Chase quite a bit last week, so no need to go into that. Uh, Higgins on one. And then these last two guys, Amon Ra St. Brown on two rosters, fits into the same bucket as Sterling Shepard, where we're saying, look, this guy doesn't have a high upside role, but he has a lot of floor given the fact that there's not many other places for the targets to go on this team. And he put up 13 points in back-to-back games. He was working with a, a 20 plus percent target share across his last couple of weeks. Quintus Cephas was out and you feel pretty good that your chances of getting 13 or 14 points before any touchdowns are pretty good. If he scores a touchdown, now you're sitting on 20 points. Now, the reason I went to Amon Ross St. Brown on these two rosters is because earlier in the week, I had been talking about potentially playing Nelson Aguilar, potentially playing Kendrick Bourne, potentially playing Devin Duvernay, and basically saying, hey, game environment bets, right? Patriots are going to be chasing points. Maybe they have to pass a little bit, b- bit more. Here are two guys who could benefit from that. Ravens and Chargers, points could be put up in a hurry. Duvernay is going to be on the field. You know, later in the week, we realize Bateman's going to be coming back. And it's like, so who knows what Duvernay's role is going to be, but he's going to be out there some and upside, right? We talked about Van Jefferson quite a bit last week. Somebody who's just on the field a lot, Rams waiting for plays to develop. And I started realizing, well, if I'm going to such thin plays, because that's all that's available down here in the value range, Amon Ross St. Brown gives me a pretty good shot at 11, 12, 13, 14 points. And then if he scores a touchdown, you're sitting up close to a 5X salary multiplier. So again, on two rosters, he made quite a bit of sense. Uh, And then Allen Robinson was sort of a one-off special. Uh, He just kept popping up in my mind, similar to the way that uh, Miles Gaskin had the week before and Cordero Patterson had the week before that. Uh, unfortunately, A-Rob did not work out the way that those two would have worked out. But basically, you know, recognizing that the Bears, what, fields through 27 pass attempts. He hadn't thrown, I think, more than 20 in a game before that in games that the Bears had controlled and, and recognizing, OK, the Bears are going to have to pass more here. And we talked about this last week. Darnell Mooney, Allen Robinson, you know, these guys probably both see seven, eight targets in this spot. So let's bet on one of them on one roster and see if we can capture that upside. I felt awesome about my process in those spots. Tight end, no surprises. Ricky Seals-Jones, Kelsey Higby. Uh, Ricky Seals-Jones on seven out of nine. Uh, Kelsey on three, Higby on two. If you do the math, you see that that means some double tight end rosters. After what Xanabir and Hilo talked about on Saturday, I felt good about, again, right? Like I'm looking at Amon Ross St. Brown at 4,200 because there's just not a lot of strong value on the week. So basically one of the things Xanabir said was, Ricky Seals Jones is one of the best value plays just by any position. Uh, and then Kelsey could outscore any of the 7K wide receivers. So I ended up with a few of those paired together as a unique way to build around that game. Two Higby rosters, again, betting on the Rams, Detroit defense, and Minnesota defense. Where I felt like I made a big process mistake was at running back. On Saturday night, I was starting my builds and I was, what I, what I did in my notes was I had all my stacks listed out and I didn't have, I didn't know exactly what my nine stacks were going to be, but I had different options. I knew I was going to have two Heineke, 
two Mahomes, two Stafford, two Jones, and one Wentz. So I had like seven variations of the Heineke roster that I could have, a few different variations of the Stafford and the Mahomes. But I, I basically was going to take two of the Heineke's and pair them with some running backs. Two of the Mahomes rosters, pair them with some running backs. And so what I thought was, I'm kind of spreading things out. All these passing stacks, right? I got two, 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 and one. So I wanted to concentrate my bets a little bit. In fact, I made a note on this. Okay, not finding that note, but basically I wanted to concentrate my bets this last week, and I wanted to do that at running back. Since I'm spreading things out at passing attack, I wanted to concentrate my bets at running back to say, hey, look, if I'm right, I'm right. I've talked about this before, right? As a former single entry player, I don't mind being wrong on something and that sinks my week because that means if I'm right on something, all nine of my rosters are now in good shape. And so coming into the week, ownership projections everywhere had Joe Mixon at like 5%, 7% or below. So felt pretty good that he would be low owned. And thinking through, if you, you could take the name off the jersey and just say, Okay, here is an 80 plus percent running back on a large favorite playing against the Lions defense. This guy can catch passes and he's almost guaranteed to get 20 plus carries and he's going to be under 10 percent owned. Well, everybody would play that play. And then the name on the jersey is Joe Mixon, who's an excellent running back, right? So a few down weeks, the ankle injury, and all of a sudden people weren't thinking about it, or at least that was what it seemed like. So I decided on Saturday night, I'm going to play. Swift plus Joe Mixon on nine out of nine rosters. Now let's pause on Swift for a moment because one of the blocks that I've had on Swift, and you may have had it too, is, well, he just doesn't get that many carries. Eight carries, 11 carries, maybe 14 carries in the occasional spot. But I want to bring this to your attention. What is a carry worth? What is a target worth? Take away touchdowns, and if we compare the two, over time, most running backs score twice as many points per target as they do per carry. Now, as you get down to these like 5K more yardage and touchdown backs who their targets are just dump offs, that's not as fully the case. But guys who have schemed pass game work, DeAndre Swift, Kareem Hunt, Austin Eckler, guys like this... Their target, each target is basically worth two carries. So I was running calculations and basically running what I called opportunity scores on different players. And just taking, we, we had a five-game sample size heading into last week. That's a decent size sample. And so what I did was I just took their targets, multiplied them by two, and added them to their carries. So Austin Eckler had an opportunity score doing that of like 23.5. He was obviously much more expensive. Dalvin Cook had an opportunity score of 30, highest opportunity score in the slate. Next highest opportunity score was DeAndre Swift, 24.5. So if you took his targets from the season, doubled them, added them to his carries for the season, and then divided it by five games to say, what has he averaged in terms of opportunity per game? 24.5. The only other player who matched him was Kareem Hunt, if you gave Kareem Hunt five extra carries. 
And this is where things went a little bit off track for me. So I took that and said, man, like I think Mixon's opportunity score was 20. Hunt's was like 19.5. But and again, we talked last week, like we shouldn't have gone into the game. Expect Nobody should have expected Hunt to touch the ball 30 times. I don't care how healthy he was. He wasn't going to touch the ball 30 times. That's not the way that the Browns operate. But. Once I looked at that and it was like, well, Hunt's opportunity score is already 19.5 and Chubb is out. And so let's just give him five carries, right? Chubb doesn't see targets. So it's not like Hunt gets a bunch of extra targets because Chubb's out, but he gets a few extra carries. So my first thought was, that's really not that valuable. Five extra carries? Who cares, right? Like he's not getting extra targets. So what's everybody hyping him up so much for? But then I added five extra carries and it was like, well, his opportunity score is 24 and a half. It's, you know, 25% higher, almost 25% higher than Mixon's opportunity score at 20. And I couldn't get over that hump of saying, yeah, but Mixon can catch more passes. Just because he's seen low volume in the pass game doesn't mean that will continue. So what I ended up doing was shifting to seven rosters with Swift, seven out of nine with Swift, seven out of nine with Hunt. And then I mixed in three Mixon, two Dalvin, and one Jonathan Taylor. Now, at this point, I expected Hunt to be about 20% owned. I built all my rosters, then looked at late ownership projections and saw him projected at like 40 to 50% everywhere I was looking. And my immediate thought was, well, that's not smart to play Kareem Hunt because I've already identified that he's not significantly better than Joe Mixon. He's not significantly better than Jonathan Taylor. Now, Jonathan Taylor's opportunity score is more like 17, 18, because the Colts are very much underutilizing him, but from like an explosive upside perspective. And Dalvin Cook wasn't that much more expensive than these guys and had an opportunity score of 30. So maybe move around some salary and go, go up to Dalvin Cook. But it was 2, 2.30 in the morning. And I was like, you know what? It's fine. Like, I'm going to just roll with this. Uh, woke up in the morning and saw the little report about Kevin Stefanski said that they're going to, you know, cap Hunt's touches. And it was like, yeah, of course. Why? We already knew this. I built my rosters expecting that to be the case. But I thought the field doesn't know this. So maybe ownership will drop because of that. Again, just kind of making excuses to play a little bit more fear-based to not be fearless, which is exactly what we talked about last week. Another thing we talked about, I think last week was there are a lot of things to put together within one NFL week. And so it's natural to start overlooking this thing that you were just talking about or that thing. The main thing is that you need to be able to come back and look at these things and see how you can improve the next week from a process standpoint. What's interesting is if Hunt had had 30 points, let's call it 25, I think 25 to 30 points, I would have had a top five finish in the power sweep, which is the the, the middle-sized power sweep. There's like a, a 4,500 entry one, a 1,500 entry one, and like a 700 entry one. So in the 1,500 entry one, I ended up with a roster that finished like 60th, but it would have finished top 10, possibly like fifth or sixth, if Hunt had had a big game. And yet my process was way off. Even if I'd had that fifth place finish, I was already assessing that and saying, man, this was a mistake. I was saying that even before the late games kicked off, but at that point it was like, well, what am I going to do? Pivot down to Damian Harris? Like I, he was stuck at my running back spot. So there's only so much I could do at that point. And so I just kind of rode the hunt train and it was a fear-based move. It was a, it was a move to say, well, I, I like hunt. 
because he's chalky, right? Like I'm doing enough different stuff on this roster that I can take chalk. Taking chalk is fine, right? Like other people don't have things built the way that I have them. Taking chalk is fine, but taking chalk that is 40 to 60% owned and isn't significantly better than some of the other pieces you could take in its place, you got to really question that. Uh, And it kind of shows in the fact that I was going to go nine Swift, nine Mixon. And once I shifted over to Hunt, it was like, well, I still want to get three Mixon in here. I still want to get some Dalvin in. I still want to get Jonathan Taylor in. Uh, Let me move down to seven Kareem Hunt and seven Swift and kind of make this all fit. Obviously I had a couple of rosters with running back in the flex uh, with this setup, but basically it was this fear-based move. And so that was kind of what, it wasn't even what broke my weekend. Right. And if I'd had Mixon and hunt, the, the salary was slightly different. Uh, so I might've had to change some other stuff on some other rosters. So I would have had maybe like a, a top 20, top 25 finish in that power sweep. So basically like the results were no different having hunt or a different player. It was before hunt had a disappointing game that I was already realizing that I had made a fear-based move and made a mistake, which is too bad because, uh, the rest of my rosters from a process standpoint were really good. The, uh, good thing is that, you know, again, it didn't, it wouldn't have made a difference on my bottom line necessarily, you know, beyond like a couple hundred bucks, but the process could have made been a difference maker, right? It could have been something that sunk my weekend. So that actually, I, I spent a little bit more time on that than I expected to, but I felt like it was valuable to walk through how I got to that point in my roster. And actually feel free to give feedback uh, to us on on what you enjoy in these segments and what you find less helpful because I love to, I would love to continue like molding these Tuesday night segments to whatever you find is most valuable to you. Okay, so let's look at the games from this last weekend. So I talked about that there was a low likelihood that we were going to see any teams go over 40 points. So what I tried to do was target the teams that had the best shot at that. That was how that Ravens-Chargers game ended up in the mix for me as of like Thursday night when I hadn't even been thinking about that game to that point in the week because the likeliest way for that game to play out wasn't a 40-plus point game. And in fact, the Vikings and Panthers game, the Bengals and Lions game, both of those were more appealing to me from a likelihood of both teams scoring 30-ish points than this Chargers-Ravens game. But then when I started thinking, yeah, but who could score 40? Who has the pieces to do that? That game started coming into the mix for me. And then I realized how popular it was going to be. And so I kind of moved back out of the mix for me. But this last week, let's look at the game totals, the final total points produced for seven of the games on the slate. Hackers, Bears, 38 combined points. That's it. Bengals, Lions, 45 combined points. That's it. Texans, Colts, 34 combined points. That's it. Rams, Giants, 49 combined points. Chiefs and Washington, 44 combined points. Chargers, Ravens, 40 combined points. Cardinals, Browns, 51 combined points. I believe that every single one of those was an under. So I had said that I didn't think there were te- there were that many teams that could go for 40 plus points. So I tried to focus on the teams that could. I said that the other way to play things would be to go for the teams that could score 30-ish points. And last week, multiple times, I highlighted the Bengals and the Lions as one of those, and 
the Vikings, and the, the Panthers. So let's look at the games that actually scored more than all of these other games. So 51 points from Cardinals-Browns, uh, 49 from Rams-Giants, and the rest of those games were 45 and below. Cowboys-Patriots scored 64. Raiders-Broncos scored 58. Vikings-Panthers scored 62. I want you to think about these spots for a moment. Cowboys-Patriots. Raiders, Broncos, Vikings, Panthers. And if I told you that these three games would have very similar final point totals, which offenses would be the smartest ones to target out of this group? Cowboys, Patriots, Raiders, Broncos, Vikings, Panthers, which offenses would be the smartest to target out of this group and why? Let's take the Patriots. The Patriots hadn't had a pass play over 35 yards. We know that the Patriots like to run the ball. We know that they like to focus on the short areas of the field. The There are a lot of things that would make us say, well, it's really tough to identify which players we should go to, even if we know that there's going to be 60 plus points scored in this game, it's really hard to know where those points are coming from. Cowboys, in this spot against the Patriots, there's no funnel. They're not playing the Bucks where they're going to be forced to pass. So they could score on the ground. They could score through the air. If they're scoring on the ground, it could be Zeke or Pollard. If they're scoring through the air, it could be CeeDee Lamb. It could be Amari. It could be Schultz. It could also be Cedric Wilson because we know that the Patriots are going to try to force them to move away from the guys that they'd like to use. So a lot of guesswork. And what I wrote down is we should be, we want to embrace uncertainty, right? But we want to also embrace certainty within our uncertainty. So teams where we know the ball is going somewhere, Raiders, no Raider had more than five targets. This is an interesting one. You might think, well, Darren Waller is pretty certain. Darren Waller, 38 games since, you know, his sort of comeback and resurgence uh, started 2019, 38 games. How many times do you think Darren Waller has scored over 15 fantasy points or 15 DraftKings points in 38 games? Has he done it 25 times? Has he done it 20 times? 15 times? No. Darren Waller, 14 out of 38 games with over 15 fantasy points. So keep those things in mind. Travis Kelsey, by comparison, in that same time span, 37 games, has 25 games of over 15 fantasy points. Darren Waller has 14 games. So Darren Waller, sure, massive upside in the weeks when he hits, but not a source of certainty. Uh, on the Broncos, this is interesting. Noah Fant, recent target counts of 8, 6, 3, 10, 4, 11. So up and down, but if we're saying, hey, look, You've just told me that 60 points are going to be scored in this game. Well, how does that happen? Probably the Broncos are having to pass more. And that means that Noah Fant is going to be more involved. Cortland Sutton, same thing. Up and down target counts. 3, 12, 5, 8, 11, 14. You tell me that the Broncos are going to be in a game where 58 total points are going to be scored. I'm going to assume that Sutton is seeing targets. Fant scored 24.1. Sutton scored 23.3. 
And then we get to Vikings and Panthers. And as you should be aware, the Vikings should be the team that stands out to us the most. When we say, hey, these six teams are all in games with 60 combined points, which offense is going to be the best one to target? Which offense allows you to embrace certainty within our uncertainty? The Vikings. We know that the ball is going to go to one of three guys. And we know that there is a chance for spillover spill over big scores to two other guys, Conklin and Osborne. But one of these three guys, Dalvin or Thielen or Jefferson, is going to have a big game when the Vikings have a game where they're putting up points. What's interesting is if I hadn't been so focused on 40 plus point scores, which is not something I regret, right? If we played that site out over and over again, there's going to be weeks where the Rams or the Chiefs put up huge scores that kind of vault you toward that first place finish. There's going to be weeks where the Vikings and Panthers disappoint. But this was the game that I would have been focused on if I was building around another game environment. Uh, Cousins scored 31 and change. Dalvin Cook scored 25.3. Adam Thielen scored 32.6. And even KJ Osborne scored 19. Point eight. The Panthers are also concentrated. You know it's going to be Chuba. You know it's going to be Robbie Anderson. You know it's going to be DJ Moore. DJ Moore only scored 12.3. Robbie Anderson only scored 10.1. But DJ Moore had 13 looks. Robbie Anderson had 11 looks. This is kind of similar to last week when we when we took Gasecki on that as that bring back on that Bucks build. And Gasecki had only scored 8.2 points, but it was like this is the sharp play here. So you would have gotten DJ or Robbie Anderson wrong, but the work was there. 13 targets, 11 targets. Uh, also, playing somebody like KJ Osborne, would you feel like a fish if you played him and he failed? Honestly, the, the same question goes for Adam Thielen. Would you feel like a fish if you played him at 5,500 last week or 5,600, whatever he was, and he failed? You probably would feel like a fish. But you also have to think about what can happen? So if you're saying, hey, this game could score 60 points, and that's what I'm wanting to get to is, okay, how would we break down these games if I told you before the games that there's going to be 60 combined points? If I told you before the games that there's going to be 60 combined points, yes, you should be looking at the big three from the Vikings, but you should also be thinking about Osborne and Conklin, knowing that there are going to be times in this 60 plus point game where one of these guys pops for a really nice score. So when we're thinking about games heading into the week, we want to be able to think like that. What if this game shoots out and how does this game shoot out? We need to understand that not all shootouts are built the same. Like the like that Raiders team, like I said, no player topped five targets for the Raiders. So when we can look at a team where the ball is spread around or that this is the way that they play offense and it doesn't really uh, create a situation where we have some certainty within the uncertainty that we're embracing. We want to look for those other spots where we can say, hey, where can we know that points are coming if we get this right? Like if this game does hit 60 plus points, where are those points coming from? So breaking down these games, these teams after the fact can help us really understand how fantasy scoring is created, how it has been created, and how we can basically take those same elements pull them to the next week and look for setups that can create those fantasy points in these weeks moving forward. Again, winning rosters tend to be littered. First place rosters tend to be littered with 30 plus point scores. So nine teams this last week scored 30 plus points. 
that's where we're likely is to get 30 plus point fantasy outings. So let's go ahead and look at, we just looked at three of the teams that did it in the uh, Cowboys, the Raiders and the Vikings. Let's look at the other six and see what strong price considered fantasy scores we got. The Bengals scored 34 points. How many scores did we get out of that that we would have been super useful on a tournament roster? One. Joe Mixon scored 26.3. The Colts scored 31 points. How many scores did we get out of that? One. Jonathan Taylor scored 31.8. The Rams scored 38 points. We got 26-ish from Stafford. We got 24.7 from Henderson. We got 37 from Cup. Three players, a much more concentrated offense. The Chiefs scored 31. Daryl Henderson got 23.9. Uh, Hill and Kelsey both had solid scores, but uh, they're so so expensive. That's kind of a unique case here. They're so expensive that you need them to do so much more. So on a week where somebody like Daryl Henderson does get 23.9, Kelsey and Hill are probably disappointing. Another thing we've talked about is the Chiefs are very efficient. So on an offense that's inefficient, Take the Steelers before this year, right? Like before Big Ben just totally lost his arm. Take last year. Well, if Deontay Johnson got 14, if the Steelers scored 30 points and the Chiefs scored 30 points, Deontay Johnson's probably getting 14 targets and Travis Kelsey and Tyreek Hill might each be getting eight because the Chiefs are able to get to that score much more quickly. So all those extra targets mean extra PPR points. And so you really need a, a game where there's not an ancillary piece on the Chiefs that puts up a, a, a solid score in order for Kelsey and Hill to be able to smash. Ravens scored 34 points. What do the Ravens do? They don't pass a ton. They spread the ball around. And it's a particularly unique situation in that you really can't roster their backfield at this point. They're splitting it three ways. These guys aren't picking up yards, but they can score 34 points, get their touchdowns on the ground from three different players. And the highest fantasy score from that team that was, you know, targetable and useful was Mark Andrews at 17.8. The Ravens scored 34 points. And the Cardinals, we talk about the Cardinals all the time, how they spread the ball around. Uh, Cardinals. 37 points. No one but Kyler scored more than 20.5. That 20.5 was DeAndre Hopkins on only four targets. Christian Kirk had eight targets. Nobody else had more than six. Uh, so Hopkins scored 20.5, but that was only 2.5 X's salary. Kyler was only about three X his salary. So again, understanding how different teams are constructed and what it means for different teams to score a lot of points. We see a lot of people take the Cardinals, for example, being like, oh, the Cardinals are going to score a bunch of points this week, stack them up, right? Like how do we capture those points? But there's a, a, a large difference between the Cardinals scoring 37 and the Vikings scoring even like 28. So understand how different teams are constructed, how you're targeting these scores. The last thing I want to hit on, and then we'll get to questions, is I kind of alluded to this last week. I just want to hammer it in. One of the, the most important things I've learned about roster construction this year, and it's something I've known for a long time, but it really took root after week five, and that is start your roster construction with games. Start your roster construction with teams not with individual players, not with the floating plays, not with the blue chips, not with the guys you want to fit. And obviously we kind of talk about that. We've talked about that for years with the bottom up build. So you get a sense of who the value plays are. So you're not forcing in bad value and all that, but 
when you start your roster construction from teams, from games, you start looking at everything through a different lens. You stop thinking about, yeah, but what if this player goes off? Because you're not thinking about, you're not thinking on a player level as your starting point. You're not thinking, yeah, but if I don't, if I fade this guy and he has a big game, then I'm in trouble. Instead, you're thinking about, okay, well, I'm getting, hopefully getting four spots right here and picking up a bunch of points. So how do I now build off of that, right? Like, how do I keep adding an upside? What salary works for this? And that really hit me last week when I did that Browns Chargers build and then that Bucks build after the fact. And it was like, okay, let me start with these builds and then see what else I could fit in here, what my roster would look like if I started from this point. So start with games because that allows you for that allows for a lot more creativity, a lot more flexibility, uh, a lot less closed-minded thinking, and kind of start you out from a different point than most of your competition is starting with. And then as you build around games, as you build around a spot where you expect a, the team to produce a lot of points, be willing to embrace some uncertainty. So again, we talked about, hey, like let's find the teams where there's some certainty, where we know where the ball's going, especially if it's a lower owned spot. That's great. But then also not just embracing the way you think this team is going to win. So in other words, if this if you have a team that the ball kind of goes to three or four guys and you think, oh, I really think this team's going to win through the air. But what if they win through the ground? If they win through the ground, right, here's this fourth piece that you're kind of neglecting. So obviously a good example of this was when I had that Wildcat win a couple of years ago and I had my winning roster had Fournette, not because I wanted Fournette that week, but because I was interested in the Jags wide receivers that week. They had a very narrow target distribution. I expected them to put up points against Tennessee. And so I was betting on the Jags wide receivers, mixing and matching them across several rosters. But that sort of, I had 19 rosters that week, I believe. And it sort of forced me to say, okay, I've got 14 rosters with Jags pass catchers. Now let me build five Fournette rosters or whatever it was that week. And so you're basically saying like, look, I'm going to an offense that I expect to score points. Let's pretend like we we already know this game's going to score 60 combined points. I expect this to go through the pass catchers, but also it's a narrow distribution of touches. That's why this offense is valuable. So let me embrace some little extra uncertainty. KJ Osborne this last week would be a good example of that. If you're building... 10 rosters around the Vikings, don't just do all Thielen and Jefferson and Dalvin, but also do some Jefferson plus Conklin, some Thielen plus KJ Osborne. You know, leave leave four rosters for that second piece that you can say, hey, if this, if this, if we get some spillover here, I can get a lot of extra valuable points from a guy nobody's thinking about and sort of vault me over the top by betting on this offense as a whole, um, but also be willing to place some clear bets. So again, find places where you're, where, you know, for me again, this last week, it should have been Mixon and Swift. It ended up being Hunt and Swift, but where you're saying, Hey, look, I'm going to place my single entry style bets right here. I'm going to sort of go all in on these plays, be willing to do that as well. That felt uh, a little more broad reaching than a couple of our recent sessions and a little less deep than a couple of our recent sessions, if that makes sense. Uh, like we covered a lot of ground, 
instead of covering a small amount of ground and going really deep. Uh, but I think I thought that was a lot of really fun and interesting stuff to look into and some good stuff to keep in mind as you're thinking ahead into a week of how you're building around games, what you're targeting, why you're targeting it. And thinking about those things, it was, you know, I was going through all of this in preparation and picking up a lot of things that I was like, okay, here's things I can be thinking about over the next few weeks as I build. So hopefully that positions you for that type of stuff. Again, as I mentioned before, uh, feel free to always provide feedback in, in Discord or, or via email, it's support at oneweekseason.com because uh, we're always looking to kind of craft this to what is most valuable to you guys. With that, Aaron, let's get you in here. Let's get to some questions. All right, before we jump into the questions, I uh, we have help Mija uh wanting to ask a question i'm going to go ahead and bring them in for a live question how's it going guys can you hear me yes sir yes sir all right so i have a really quick question i'll try to make it really fast so i played in the play action one was honda cater first and the winning lineup it was prescott henderson jr darrell williams lamb cup Thielen, seal jones mckissick and the colts and so my question was, in their lineup construction, they went Prescott and Land with no bringbacks, Henderson and Cup without their quarterbacks, Darrell Williams, Seals Jones, and McKinnick without any of their quarterbacks. And so I never really thought about stacking any one of those things, especially like McKissick, Williams, and Seals Jones without any of their quarterbacks. Like, is that, like, was that one of those things that just worked or was just a weak thing or... Is that like something that what we're seeing? Like where stacks like that work without the quarterbacks? Yeah, I actually I love that question. So I I'll put it like this. Last week, one of the things apparently that I had talked to Scott about, uh, Scott Barrett about on our Saturday call was really liking the idea of Stafford plus Cup plus Henderson stacks. Apparently, I forgot about that by the time I was building that night because I did not end up with that stack. But the thinking is you're building an onslaught where you're saying the Rams score a bunch of points and we've seen it work with it works. It worked more often with like Le'Veon Bell, right, where he's involved in the pass game. But we've seen this work multiple times where the running back and the quarterback and a wide receiver work in a stack because if the team scores 35 plus points, if they score five touchdowns, in fact, I think I mentioned it on the site last week, if the Rams score five touchdowns, you could get two from cup and two from Henderson. Um, Obviously not expecting Henderson to get one through the air. So if you do that and then you say, well, do I think that Stafford is the highest scoring quarterback here? Like, is there another way to go? Now, typically the way I would do it is like maybe salary doesn't work. And so I pull that into a Wentz stack or a Daniel Jones stack or something like that. And so then you would have you. So for me, the starting point would be, well, the stack is Stafford plus cup plus Henderson, but then you run through the stats, right? Like if you're putting Henderson on the roster, you're basically saying Henderson gets two touchdowns on the ground. Now he ended up catching a touchdown and Stafford got four through the air. But what you're technically saying is because Henderson has had such a small pass game role and Rams running backs in general have had such small pass game roles. What you're really saying is cup gets two touchdowns through the air. Henderson gets two on the ground and you know, Stafford probably ends up with three. So if you give Stafford three touchdowns and 300 yards, you know, as a reasonable projection, you're looking at 15 points plus the touchdown, 27 points. 
Uh, he ended up getting the four touchdowns, but not the 300 yards. So if you, if you project Stafford, basically it's like this, if you can say, okay, this story I'm telling gives Stafford about 27, 28 points. Is there another cheaper quarterback who can also get me 27 to 28 points? And that salary is valuable somewhere else. Um, I don't necessarily get it with a DAC stack because the, the salaries were pretty much the same. I don't mind yeah. not I don't mind not having a bring back from the Patriots because, again, as we're talking about, understand the teams you're stacking, understand why you're stacking them, know that the Patriots spread the ball around and all that. Um, but, yeah, the the uh, idea of taking, you know, Ricky Seals-Jones and J.D. McKissick and not Heineke, McKissick was 4,800. Ricky Seals-Jones was 3K. So 7.8K combined. If they get 30 or more points, I mean, you're sitting so pretty and they don't need Heineke to have a tournament winning game for them to, you know, it's this, we've got injuries. We've got uh, the, the Chiefs, even though everybody's been talking down about their secondary, the Chiefs still filter targets away from wide receivers. So, you know, you could say, hey, it's pretty reasonable to think that McKissick and Ricky Seals-Jones combined for 15 targets, combined for over 30 points. And Heineke could have a 17 point game and they could still combine for over 30. So yeah, it's for me, it's like thinking through what thinking through exactly what the story is. And when I say demystify the slate, right? Like create actual statistics in your head and be like, is this reasonable? Like, like I said earlier with Heineke, 275 yards, a couple touchdowns, then maybe he gets 30 on the ground and rushes one in. Uh, Like I said, for Stafford last week, and then just now 300 yards, three touchdowns if you're putting Henderson on a roster with him, because now you're saying five touchdowns as a team. Um, and so, yeah, turn it into something concrete and then make sure that the story makes sense. Uh, again, I don't, I uh, like, if you're taking Dak and only one pass catcher against like a, a Stafford, potential Stafford stack, that one makes a little less sense to me. But also, you know, at the same time, you're putting Henderson on the roster. So you're kind of saying you're expecting that some touchdowns to come on the ground. Henderson gets two touchdowns, Cup gets two touchdowns, and maybe Stafford, maybe the Rams, you know, that's it. Maybe the Rams score four touchdowns and Stafford's not a winning piece. So yeah, I don't mind it. I think it's sharp because it it tells a sharp story. Like if if we broke that down into stories and it's like one story is Washington is passing a lot and the Chiefs are preventing targets from wide to wide receivers. Well, that makes a lot of sense. Okay, so Ricky Seals-Jones and McKissick make a lot of sense. Um, another story is the Rams score four or five touchdowns and Henderson gets a couple, Cup gets a, t- a couple. That makes a lot of sense. Another story is the Cowboys put up a lot of points and they end up having to go through the air for it. Um, that one makes less sense without a bring back because, you know, how are the Patriots forcing the Cowboys to put up a bunch of points? But again, we know that the Patriots kind of spread things around. And so you can make that story make sense. But yeah, as long as you have a bunch of stories that make sense, um, I'm good with it. And I, and I think that we see that underutilized actually like uh, an overstack of a team without the quarterback. So yeah, I love that question. I don't think that it's something you like just go overboard and start doing, but always look for ways to bet on teams or game environments as much as possible. And including like this last week, we said there weren't that many teams that could score a bunch of points. So bet on those teams. Right. And, and you can't fit all the quarterbacks. So kind of do it that way. Yeah, I think the only thing that really kind of threw me off was just, it was like McKissick and, oh man, my neighbor started mowing the lawn. It was McKissick and it was like McKissick, Seals Jones, and then Daryl Williams. And then I was like, well, how, like, what story is that? You know, like, I don't know the story of that. 
Because if the two of them are going off, then more than likely, or maybe it's just they're ahead and Daryl Williams is getting the ball. Maybe. Oh, Daryl Williams. Yeah. I was hearing Daryl Henderson. No, no, no. Darryl, well, he was, I had Daryl Williams, Henderson too, but he also had Daryl Williams. Okay. Okay. Daryl Williams. Yeah. I mean, that's an odd story to tell. Obviously, you know, Daryl Williams can get, we saw it. He got two touchdowns and he can get it with the, with the chiefs winning by a lot of points. Um, and then the passes go to these other guys, right? Like this team is, is in the lead. So the running backs getting more touches, running backs getting some touchdowns. This team's behind. So they're passing. Um, there's a lot of thin kind of thin plays on that one, right? Like uh, Daryl Williams, we played out this slate a hundred times. He's getting two touchdowns, maybe seven or eight times. And he was super popular. Um, the Cowboys, we don't know if they're going to pass. We don't know if they're going to run. We don't know where the ball is going when they pass. So, you know, a lot had to come together. They, they took on more uncertainty than they probably had to, but sometimes you have to do that, right. It ended up working out. So um, yeah, I mean, I think that the all around approach though is sharp and like, I don't want to nitpick at exactly how they put it together. Uh, I definitely yeah. like the all around approach. Yeah. I was just curious. Cause I couldn't just, at no point All during right. the week. Uh, Aaron, I you want to hop in? We got some uh, written questions that came in this week. Yeah, we have some written questions, but they're actually all um, kind of around the same. So I'm going to ask the question um in i'm gonna ask all three of the questions they all are for the same topic basically and then i'll let you answer it kind of however you see fit here so this is from gift paw jm jm the upcoming week has a lot of high total uh high totals but high spreads is this a good week to increase float plays from the high total teams and sacrifice some correlation um, so much of the field is focused on correlation these days, and they may be focused on suboptimal bringbacks this week. And then another question was from Jordan. Uh, JM, when there's projected blowout with one team naturally having big point total, is it usually more plus EV to go all in on a couple of those stacks and trying to pinpoint scoring without a bringback? And last, from BPV338, how does the bring back consideration? Uh, how does the bring back consideration change in games like this, uh, with games like this in this week with very large point spreads? So as you can see, kind of all the same question. Want to see if you can kind of tackle that here on a on a Tuesday? Yeah, this is kind of fun. This is um, so usually Monday is my day to start getting a, a in, in kind of my process this year. Monday is my day to start getting a feel for the slate. And when I looked at this slate, it was like, I mean, how much research is really needed? A lot of times it it gets kind of knotted up to think like, okay, how is this team going to try to win? How is this team going to try to stop this team? But this week it's like bucks at home against the bears for anyone who hasn't, hasn't looked forward yet. Here's what we're talking about. Bucks at home against the bears, Rams at home against the lions Cardinals at home against the Texans Packers at home against Washington Packers are favored. I think it's by nine and a half to 10, all these other uh, bucks by 12 and a half. And then I think it's lions by 15 or Rams by 15 Cardinals by 17. That's off the top of my head. So I might have those numbers slightly off, but I actually think I have them exactly right. Um, So the, Questions are interesting. The questions are super sharp. And I love that these questions came in because it shows that we're thinking in the right direction. Here's how I'm seeing this slate. And I'll talk about this first. Because I think that sometimes there's a tendency to jump to 
the sharp questions. And we maybe don't have all the pieces to answer the sharp questions until we've thought through the bigger picture. So let's also throw in the fact that the Chiefs and Titans are playing two teams that can put up points, two teams that have had uh, lots of issues on defense this year. The Titans that obviously should be expected to continue. The Chiefs should not be expected to be a great defense. They could obviously get better still. But the first thought is I need to know on any roster I build, I need to know that these five games exist. I need to know that Chiefs versus Titans exists. I need to know that the Packers are going against Washington at home. I need to know that the Rams are going against the Lions at home and that Stafford's playing his old team and that they're playing Jared Goff. That game is going to be a blast. Uh, I need to know that the Bucks are playing the Bears at home. I need to know that the Cardinals are playing the Texans at home. So if you are looking at other spots, one spot that's really interesting to me this week is Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Waddell at home against the Falcons. The whole idea for the Dolphins this year was we're going to attack downfield more. Like they kind of kept Tua in this safe zone last year where he was dinking and dunking and they brought in Will Fuller and drafted Jalen Waddell. And, you know, it was kind of like Devontae Parker is going to be their perimeter guy. Will Fuller was going to be their deep guy. Gasecki and Waddle were going to be their intermediate and short guys. They have all these running backs who can kind of work in the pass game. They have, I believe it's still the highest situation neutral pass play rate or at least pass play rate overall on the season. And they're playing the Falcons who have a bad defense. So I'm interested in that spot. Uh, Jalen Waddell's average depth of target with Jacoby was something like five yards. His average depth of target with Tua is like 10 yards, but everybody's just going to see his you know full season average depth of target and think that he only works in this five to seven yard range. But if I build around that game, I have to recognize that these things don't happen in a vacuum. Getting good scores from Dolphins players isn't enough. I have to know that most of my competition is building around high probability, like not shootouts, but high probability, high scoring teams. And so, you know, there's, there's things like we talk about the bucks, the bucks spread the ball around a little bit. So if everybody's on these two wide receivers or this one wide receiver, we can get an edge by saying, Hey, maybe the ball goes here. Maybe the ball goes here. Um, if everybody's on cup, maybe we get on Higby or Henderson or, or Sony Michelle, right? Like there's different ways to build around those games, but we need to recognize that if we're going to look at other spots, we have to understand that these other games exist. We had a week like this earlier in the year where basically what I'll say about this, this, these five games is if we only had one or two games like this, then you could say, hey, maybe these games fail. And what's this week's Vikings Panthers? What's this week's Chargers Browns? What's this week's game that people are overlooking? You know, that could be Atlanta at Miami. That game could be 34 to 28. What's this week's game that everybody's overlooking? And maybe I soar past everyone by targeting that game. But since there are five games like this, four teams that are really good offenses and are playing really bad to below average teams and should put up a lot of points. And then Chiefs versus Titans. What are the chances of all five of those spots failing and you being able to sort of move past everybody with another spot? So that's the first thing that I want to be thinking about in a week like this is what am I saying if I move to other spots? So I have to start my rosters from considering players in these games. The next thing I want to be thinking about is where is the most certainty? 
The Bucks could turn to the ground, but they're probably passing. So plenty of certainty that they're probably passing. We don't necessarily know where all those targets are going, but you know we can make some good quality guesses. Cardinals, we know that they, this team has produced almost no tournament winning scores. So there's certainly some ways to get you know to kind of fade this offense or like say, hey. Cardinals winning the blowout. James Conner gets a bunch of touches. Uh, that's the way to go. Lions, we know where the ball is going. There's only a handful of guys who are involved, and there's only a couple guys who are heavily involved, that being Cooper Cup and Daryl Henderson. Chiefs and Titans, same thing. Concentrated offenses. We know that neither defense is likely, likely to be able to turn the opposing offense to the pieces they don't want to win with. Right. It's not like the Chiefs are going to be able to eliminate Julio Jones and Derrick Henry and A.J. Brown and force the Titans to win with Nick Westbrook Akini. Uh, it's not like the Titans are going to just take out Kelsey and Hill and force the Chiefs to win with Robinson and McCole Hardman. So I want to find the places where it's like, you know, first off, okay, here are these five games, these six teams. Now, let, oh, and then the Packers, obviously, we know where the ball is going. Um, lower volume, but um, we know where the ball's going. We also think the Packers are not going to keep their foot on, a, on an opponent's throat if they have a big lead, right? They're not just going to try to put up 40 points. So if they stop Washington, that's one way we gain an edge in that game. We say, okay, Packers players should probably have a Washington bring back on them. Uh, next, so I, I identify these games. Then I try to identify the spots where there's the most certainty in terms of certainty as far as points being scored or certainty as far as where the ball is going to go. Then if I branch to other games, I want to be thinking about how does this either beat those games if, if I'm working in a similar salary range, or how do I complement my rosters that are attacking those games with these pieces from the other games? So maybe on a different week, I would be going in on Tua and Matt Ryan and sort of building around this game. But on this week, I'd have to say, what's the best case scenario? Both teams get up to the high 20s or low 30s. Well, the Chiefs and Titans are going to get up to the high 20s or low 30s. The Rams are going to get up to the 30s. The Bucks are going to get up to the 30s. The Cardinals, the Packers are going to get up to the 30s. So what edge am I really gaining? Unless there's a salary edge there. And, uh, and then I take on more guesswork, right? So, but maybe I cut out Matt Ryan. Maybe I cut out Tua, but there's still Waddle. There's still Gusecki. There's still Calvin Ridley. There's still Kyle Pitts. So I want to, A, think about the slate in those terms. Then I love the question about the bring backs, right? Like people are getting smarter about correlation, but that doesn't mean we don't want to correlate just to be different because correlation is by definition smarter because NFL scoring is correlated. So our DFS rosters should be correlated to take advantage of that. But as I've talked about, and as one of those questions asked, people kind of just auto correlate they auto bring back so in spots where i mean let's 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 go back to these notes from this last week right we had the colts scored 31 in a blowout win brandon cooks actually was was valuable in that game as well but jonathan taylor and brandon cooks from that game the Bengals scored 34 in a blowout win joe mixon was really the only player from that game who provided strong value. Swift was fine. Amon Ross St. Brown was fine. Hawkinson was fine. But none of them were like required to win a tournament. None of them would have even helped you win a tournament. They, you know, they could be on a tournament winning roster, but they're not the reason anything's happening. Rams scored 38. Shepard was acceptable, had a perfectly fine score, close to 20 points, but all the scoring came from the Rams side. Chiefs scored 31. Ricky Seals-Jones, McKissick for their salaries, 
perfectly fine plays. Uh, but Daryl Williams, kind of the only piece in this game that was really particularly valuable. So kind of recognizing that that can be the case. Now, if there's cheap players in those games, right? Like a lot of these Shepard, um, whoever we just mentioned those games, uh, McKissick, Ricky Seals, Jones, like cheap pieces from Washington, cheap, cheap pieces from uh, the Lions. That's a little tougher sell. Uh, cheap pieces from the Texans or Brandon Cooks or Nico Collins. Uh, or think about the Bears. The Bears, the reason their offenses look like this is all they want to do is run. All they want to do is protect Justin Fields. You literally can't run against the Bucks, especially if the Bucks know that all you want to do is run. So I haven't quite gotten this answered yet. It's only Tuesday, but I've had thoughts about like, Hey, what if Justin Fields has to throw the ball 35 times? Now it could just mean that the Bucks defense has a, uh, like a stomp fest and Bucks defense plus Leonard Fournette is the play of the week. Right. But if you're playing some Bucks wide receivers, there's a chance that a bring back with Darnell Mooney or Allen Robinson is a super sharp way to go. So you can say, People aren't probably going to correlate that one. We're going to still see low ownership on those guys. So you just want to think through each individual spot and kind of think through what story you're telling and think through whether or not it makes sense. Um, And so that's kind of the way I look at it is, yeah, like expect that some people will just auto bring back in these spots and that some of these games could be 38 to 11, like the Rams Giants game last week. Also keep in mind though, that it's PPR scoring. So if there's a cheap piece, he's going to get a lot of volume that can be valuable as well. That's basically all that Ricky Seals Jones and McKissick and Shepard and Amon Ross St. Brown were all of them were just cheap pieces who got a lot of volume and ended up being, you know, decently valuable, perfectly acceptable tournament plays because of that volume. So yeah, it's an interesting week and it's an interesting week to say, let me not auto bring back, which we should never do, but also let me not automatically decide on Tuesday or Wednesday, like, okay, so what I'm going to do is just build around this offense and not do a bring back to be sneaky. Like instead take each individual spot. And this is having 10 games is awesome because it, it makes it a lot easier And especially a week like this, where there's a lot of pretty straightforward games. I always talk about thinking through games and how valuable and important it is to do that, because that's where fantasy production comes from is game environments. So if you can think through these games this week, and there's only 10 of them, and some of them are pretty straightforward, uh, and the most important ones, the most valuable ones are pretty straightforward. So that kind of allows you to put some of this stuff we've talked about into action and think about how you're putting these rosters together in a way that tells a reasonable story that makes a lot of sense based on what these games actually offer. Um, So yeah, again, that's kind of similar to the er earlier part of our segment tonight in that we covered a lot of ground there without a ton of depth. But I think that that's kind of where we're at at this point in the week with that, that question is like, think through everything, understand what the slate gives us. Understand it's one of the cool things about on this Tuesday segment, if we turn our attention to the next week a little bit early is I can kind of like talk through the way I'm seeing things early in the week. And you guys can take some of that and start building your own thoughts off of that. But yeah, that's how I'm seeing this slate early in the week is Know that these five games exist. Know that these higher scoring game environments exist. Know what else is out there, but also know like how that has to fit into 
the scores other people are going to be targeting. And then think about what mistakes will people be making? One of them being potential auto bringbacks. And how do we capitalize on that? Well, finding places where it doesn't make sense to bring back. Uh, another mistake they can make is just playing the most obvious plays from these high scoring games. Uh, let's go back to this list again. What did we have? You know, all these teams that scored 30 plus points and who was valuable in them? KJ Osborne was one of the guys who was valuable. CD Lamb, you know, obviously excellent player, but he hadn't popped for a while. Um, Fant and Sutton, the Broncos scored, I think it was 28, so not 30 plus. Fant and Sutton, guys that nobody was thinking about. Um, Daryl Williams, who people were playing, but they shouldn't have been. And, and he ended up being one of these pieces. And so, you know, recognize that there are opportunities to get the higher scoring scores from players that other people aren't thinking about as well in these spots or building in ways other people aren't thinking about. And that can be one of our edges as well. Um, I don't know, Aaron, any, any other questions that you have off of that? Or do you think that we kind of covered that? No, we kind of covered that. I think it was kind of shocking to me to hear, you know, I do the stats on, on Monday where we kind of go through the box scores on Twitter and this week just felt weird kind of going through that, like nothing really, really popped. And hearing you say that all these 30 point games and there was basically nobody really worth owning. That's like, oh, man, I missed this spot. So that was kind of shocking for you to break it down that way. And it's a good exercise to to look through. And I enjoyed doing that Monday mornings is going through box scores and just who got the targets, where was it concentrated? How many points did that actually mean? I think that's really valuable. And um, Ben, I'm actually looking, he does a thing called box score review. It's a word document that he shares inside of uh, our Google drive for uh, the entire OWS fam to look at, but he basically just goes through it and kind of nails on some things here um, game by game and writes out what happened in them. So he kind of has a review of going back on this to know what to look at and where the concentration is and things of that nature. So, um, but other than that, I, I don't have anything else to add to that. Yeah. And I, I love that idea of looking through box scores because we don't want to be box score watchers in that. We just kind of use that as our gospel and, and it's like, Oh, well, this is going to happen because this is what happened in the past, but understanding how teams distribute the ball. It's so easy for people to throw out numbers like 10 targets. And so when you start seeing kind of getting a sense of how each team actually distributes the ball, it can help you a lot more in understanding what offenses are run in different ways, right? Like Jonathan Taylor hasn't touched the ball more than like 18 times since week one, understanding things like that help you to get a better sense of how different players are being used, why they're being used in different ways. Deandre Hopkins, I don't think has topped eight targets in a game this year. Um, you know, and you, and then it, it, you start to see, it's like when I talk about people have asked, what do you watch for when you watch game pass? And I say, don't watch the ball, right? Like watch the movement of both teams and try to understand, basically kind of start from inside out. You watch the lines, the, the offensive line, the defensive line, you see how they're interacting. Pre-snap, you should always be watching, okay, what's the offensive formation? What's the defensive formation? How is the offense, what is the offense doing pre-snap? How is the defense adjusting? And then once the ball snapped, you kind of watch the movement of each team. And what you start to see is after you've watched 20 games, 30 games, 40 games of different teams, you see that different teams move differently. Different players move differently. Certain players pop. Certain teams 
pop. And it's the same thing when you look at box scores, you can kind of train your mind to understand which different teams do things in which different ways. Cause then you see, okay, targets, you know, you go to the receiving column in one team's box score and there's like 11 players listed. And the next team, there's nine players listed. The next team, there's eight players listed. The next team, there's 10 players listed. And the next team, there's five players listed. And it's like, Oh, did this team only throw 25 passes? No, they scored. They, they threw 35 passes, but they just don't spread the ball out as much as some of these other teams. Or, you know, some teams, maybe 10 guys are listed, but it's like one target to this guy, 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 and then five guys who see all the usage. So just kind of getting in there and understanding things like that. Um, again, accumulated knowledge over time, something we always talk about, but just looking at box scores can be really valuable in that as well. Aaron, if you're talking, you're on mute. There we go. Yep. Yeah, there we go. Um, yeah, I think one more thing that I, I want to hammer. I know you and I have talked about this a little bit, and I've been paying attention to this a little bit more. Um, one thing was in our Yahoo chat, one of the channels that we have here. Um, someone mentioned, I, I forgot who it was, but they were looking to find edges on Yahoo. And one of the things with Yahoo, if you scroll down, you I, I guess I don't have the um I don't scroll down usually on Yahoo because there's not that many contests. But uh, this past week, somebody mentioned that on these showdowns for Yahoo, they have these 23-man leagues, and it's like a $25 buy-in. And what you'll find is everybody's playing almost nearly the identical like cash lineup. And so like yesterday, for instance, it was Josh Allen plus the other four people. And the idea is, you know, instead of using Josh Allen, flip that with somebody else. One little thing that can make the difference of uh, of climbing the leaderboard and you can jump literally 90 percent of the field. Um, so something to think about. So like Yahoo last night, instead of having Josh Allen in the captain spot, um, I put Derrick Henry. Obviously, it worked out because Derrick Henry smashed last night. But then you look at Josh Allen was like 90 percent owned and, you know, 70 percent of the lineups had that exact same lineup. So just flipping a little bit changes everything um, when it comes to strategy. Um, I don't know if you want to add anything to that. Yeah. um, First thing I want to mention is I think we'll skip we'll skip uh, stage questions tonight because there's two things I want to get to. And one of them I want to bring you in on. Um, the first thing I want to mention is going back to the I've talked in the past with the flash, the flash drafts on DraftKings, which is the in-game drafts. And as I've said, you get practice in the flash drafts at what DFS is really all about, because in the flash drafts, just go play one this Thursday night football okay but you'll see how it works there's like five screens and each screen you have three players to choose from and everybody you're competing against which might be like 800 people a thousand people they're all choosing players from that three player group so there's gonna be five screens in all and on each screen you're gonna pick a player so at the end you're gonna have a five player roster and these other thousand people you're competing against will also have a five player roster But as soon as you pick, so screen one, there's three players. Let's say it's like Cooper Cup, Robert Woods, and Sterling Shepard. Well, who is everybody picking on that screen? Cooper Cup. So it's just they're scoring for the next quarter. So you're drafting during the first quarter. It's going to be scoring in the second quarter. Everybody's going to pick Cooper Cup. Before it goes to screen two, it shows you what the ownership was on all those players. So if you take Robert Woods... And you say, do I think Robert Woods is going to be, is going to outscore these guys next quarter? No, I don't think so. Robert Woods is probably not going to outscore Cooper Cup, right? But 
if 80% of people take Cooper Cup and 15% take Sterling Shepard and 5% take Robert Woods, well, now you only need Woods to be the better play once out of every 20 times. And so it's cool because in these flash drafts, what, what, what I do in those flash drafts is I look for play, like I try to find the ones that are least bad bets, right? So on that, on that first page, actually in that, in that example, I probably wouldn't take Cooper cup, but let's say that it's like a one where it's like just a couple really low likelihood bets and then a pretty high likelihood bet. And I know the high likelihood bet is going to be 90% owned, but I'll say, okay, this is page one. I'll take the 90% owned guy on this page and I'll wait for my chance to differentiate on page two or three or four or five. And, and then throughout these, you correlate, right? You know that you've already taken Robert Woods on this page. So the next time Robert Woods shows up, sometimes the same player shows up twice, you take him again. Or Stafford shows up. It's like Stafford, Daniel Jones, somebody else. You take Stafford because you've already bet on Robert Woods, which, which means you're hoping Robert Woods scores a touchdown next quarter, which means you're hoping Stafford throws him a touchdown next quarter. So you correlate. Um, and it just kind of like forces you to do these things. And what it forces you to re recognize is when ownership is really clumped up, when 70% of people are taking this one guy and you're taking this guy who's 5% owned, you get to see it play out in real time. Second quarter plays out. Maybe you lose all your flash drafts for that quarter. But then, you know, the way it's worked for me in the past is like you lose 20 bucks, you lose 20 bucks, you lose 20 bucks, you win 300. And you can kind of start seeing in this very small like quick game, how DFS really works. And that same thing with like what Aaron was saying is you're not saying, oh, I think Derrick Henry's going to have a better game than Josh Allen. That's not even what this is all about. You're just saying, oh, wow, that's way too many people on Josh Allen. So over time, I'd make more money by making this one little change. So find plus EV ways to, to target that, like Aaron was saying with the Yahoo stuff, but also find ways to practice that. And the flash drafts are one of the best, best, best ways to just get rapid fire practice at sharp DFS theory. Uh, the other thing is, again, we've talked about this a lot, but finding ways to scoop up plus EV play. So Aaron, I want to bring you in to talk about what you've seen on the Thursday to Monday contests of the last two weeks with specific use, uh, specific examples from this last week, if you don't mind, because I think that this last week was really interesting considering where ownership got to in some of these players. Yeah, so it, it kind of all started, Zanimir's been talking about this a lot is there's a lot of um value in fading thursday night games first off in these uh thursday through monday that i think a lot of us know um a lot of ownership seems to congregate on that thursday game no matter what it is um the other thing is a lot of late news on the weekend. So come Saturday, come Sunday, if there's late news on a player, it seems like these guys go way under owned. So for example, this past week, there was a whole bunch of questionable tags on everybody. Um, everybody knew Kareem Hunt was going to be pretty much uh, the chalk play on Sunday, but on these Thursday through Monday slates, he was 15% owned. Um, Kelsey was 6% owned. Um, and all of these things kind of just made me realize that a lot of these players are, are entering lineups, you know, Thursday night before the Thursday night football and not even thinking of resetting their lineup or rethinking through these rosters that they've set, you know, four days, three days in advance. And we have such an advantage if you can um, take this knowledge and take this information and build later in the week. 
um, and not have to really even worry about ownership so much. So, um, yeah, that's kind of my thoughts with that jam. I don't know if you want to add to that. I know we talked about yeah, that a little was, bit. And the one you, you sent me a screenshot of one and the ownership was shocking. And I asked what the buy-in level was and you said $12, but you said that the $50, it wasn't like materially different. And just think about that, that people are building rosters before the Thursday night game setting them and forgetting them. You don't even have to build your roster yet. You can throw in just a bunch of guys, just make sure that they're playing on Sunday and then build that roster on Saturday. And you are now, you could almost just play chalk, right? If we say that at this point, chalk is generally pretty sharp. You could just correlate chalk well and make money over time because these guys who are like 40% owned on the main site are 10% owned on this Thursday to Monday, or these guys who are 20% owned might be five or 6% owned on the Thursday to Monday. And so finding these places where you can say, oh, wow, everybody's kind of overlooking this spot. So let me, or everybody's kind of overlooking this edge. So let me take advantage of it. Let me go ahead and build my rosters, you know, reserve these rosters and then build them on Saturday as if it's just part of my main slate play and let everybody else just set and forget their Thursday night roster. So little things like that, where you can just scoop up free money over time is super valuable. Uh, Aaron, anything you want to add before you get out of here? Yeah. Let me just go down that lineup or at least what I have, I sent to you. So, um, I think this is about a 3000 person tournament. So Daniel Jones was 0.08% owned. Uh, Kareem Hunt was 16%. Uh, Daryl Henderson, 22%. Cooper Cup, 12%. Uh, Tony was less than 3%. Shepard was less than 3%. Uh, Ricky Seals Jones was 12%. Tyreek Hill was 4%. And the Lions D was 7%. So... As you can see, those numbers that's sharp, were that's a sharp roster too. Well, thank you. Um, they were, you, <laughs> you know, uh, massively, you know, different on the main slate, and you know, the, the thing that really kind of uh, brought it all to me was the previous week was Madison was what forty or fifty percent owned on main slate, right? And right, on right. the Thursday through Monday, I think he was sub ten percent. So it was just shocking to see kind of these these wildly different ownership projections or ownership um, percentages. Yeah. Yeah. And, and again, um, something Xanamir is great at something Cubs fans great at is like hunting out those little edges where you just scoop up extra money. So that is one to pay attention to. That's one that I would encourage you guys. In fact, this Thursday night, that's what you should be thinking about is getting some rosters entered in those Thursday to Mondays. And optimally then during Thursday night football, playing some of those flash drafts and, thinking not about what's likeliest to happen, but instead what the field thinks is likely to happen and, and what they might be overrating and try to outmaneuver the field. Correlate well, recognize that, you know, getting a touchdown in a quarter is worth a ton and touchdowns are pretty unpredictable. So find ways to be intelligently different from the field. And you get some really cool, like rapid fire practice on good DFS theory, good DFS play. Um, in fact, I would credit my my game changer win last Thanksgiving to I'd credit it to those flash drafts because I'd been playing those flash drafts. And then I got to, you know, a two game slate on Thanksgiving. And it was like, oh, well, I'll just basically just apply exactly what I've been doing in those. Um, and I don't get to draft a new one next quarter, right? If this one doesn't work out, but you kind of recognize like, Hey, over time, this would make money. Um, and so, yeah, yeah, I would recommend kind of having your eye out on Thursday night 
for entering those Thursday to Mondays and then doing some flash drafts. With that, we are going to get out of here as always. Massively, massively appreciate you guys hanging out. Massively appreciate you guys listening. I will see you on the site throughout the week. I will see you on the Angles Pod this weekend and I will see you at the top of the leaderboards on Sunday. Sunday.